Hello, I'm Colin Green, and you are listening to Spike Pit. Hey Colin, this is Ray Otis of Plundergrounds. Thanks so much for the kind words about my games and podcast. I really appreciate the love. Man, please come to Gary Con. <laughs> what, what do we need to do to make that happen? Uh, if we need to take up a collection or something, let me know. Last year was my first time there, and I was bowled over at how amazing the experience was. It's a super chill con, uh, really great, high-quality gaming. Also, if you come, maybe we could put together some kind of roundtable of uh, people who create fan content in the form of podcasts and zines. Something really informal, like a Q&A or something. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. First, we got to figure out how to get you there. I appreciate your thoughts on random encounters and mob rules. I don't like rolling them at the table either, so it makes sense to roll them up ahead of time and give yourself a little bit of time to add interest to them before you get them to the table. And I think you're dead on that most combats really, uh, the sweet spot is three to five rounds. Anyway, good stuff, Spike Pit. I love the podcast. Keep them coming. Thanks for calling in, Ray. Um, yeah. Gary Con. Wow, that'd be great, man. But... Um... I'm pretty committed to to my travel plans for next year and I don't think my budget is going to stretch to trips to the good old US of A. <laughs> Unfortunately, much as I'd like to. Uh, but yeah, Garricorn sounds like a great convention and um, yeah, that, that a round table or something like that one day, that that would be an awesome thing to do. I, I've never done anything like that and I, I imagine it's a real blast. And Ray mentions his zine, uh, Plundergrounds. I've been reading through issue one yesterday, and um, I reckon I'm going to... I'm probably not going to use Dungeon World. I think I'm going to go for World of Dungeons. Mostly, not because I don't like Dungeon World, but because I've been meaning to run World of Dungeons, and I like the um, the OSR feel of it, and it's a real sort of rules-like, stripped-down couple of pages type rpg and they really appeal to me and it would just be a, a good excuse now i'm all fired up about ape city and whatnot um it'd just be a really good excuse for me to run world of dungeons so i think that's what i'm gonna do so i've also been talking about stay frosty on discord over on the uh, audio dungeon and um yeah i've I've blown the dust off my Stay Frosty rules, uh, PDF, I downloaded it off of uh, Drive Through and I printed out a couple of copies and um, I've got a one shot to run on Tuesday and I reckon I'm going to use this rule system. All this talk of Mothership and uh, Jason talking about Relentless has got me onto a bit of this uh, grim and gritty or grim dark sci-fi aliens type of vibe but i'm gonna i'm gonna shake it up a little bit um i've got mothership but i haven't had a chance to sort of go through it and digest it properly and um to be honest this stay frosty rule set just seems real simple and uh, it's based on the black hack which i'm a little bit more familiar with so i'm gonna give it a blast i've got this idea it's gonna be like a set the party up as an away team in dropping onto a planet in either some sort of drop ship or uh some kind of spacecraft to investigate what's been going on this uh this moon where 
uh, it's a, like a research facility looking into. Uh, so it's a it's a water covered moon, and the research facility is um, looking at aquaponics and growing alternative food sources for future colonies, and um, with a view to perhaps the human race setting up a colony near this moon and um yeah well you know it's just a bit <laughs> it's a bit far-fetched but basically it's a it's a research facility for growing plants in nutrient rich water so i made a really bad example of explaining that but hopefully when it comes to tuesday i'll have a better idea in my head and I won't be sitting here without notes. Um, but yeah, I couldn't have explained that any worse. So moving swiftly onwards, the other thing I've been um, inspired to think about, by Tim Shorts of Goffridge Manor, no less, um, he was talking about spell components and reagents. And I started thinking about spells. I dropped him a, a message just sort of... Ha speaking of how I think it's a really great idea and um, yeah just this idea of a little spell boost I thought was was great and seemingly Rich Fraser he, he also called in and uh, was equally inspired and he's got he's gone off and I think he's going to be coming up with a load of ideas so listen out for that but if you haven't heard that uh, episode of Tim's definitely worth a listen really interesting idea but what it did it got me thinking not only of that but also of magic in general and what what I'd, the type of magic that i feel is sometimes lacking is this kind of um like a an elemental sort of magic or a magic that's tied to its surroundings so you know, I keep in my mind picturing if you cast a, some sort of fireball or you're using some fire magic, I imagine it being um, any 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 fire or torches or light sources in the room somehow being affected, like maybe being drawn from their origins and, and kind of sucked into this vortex of the spell or... Um, say like you've got you know you're in a woodland or something and you're casting some magic I imagine you know the energy and the life in in the woodland and the plants kind of being combined in the spell and being part of the spell effect or like the ground um, I always imagined this idea of having an elementalist that was able to kind of pick up the ground like you might pick up and shake a rug, like you sometimes see in a cartoon or something, where a character picks up one end of a rug and then like flicks it and makes like a wave of the rug. But I imagine a, a magic user or elementalist being able to do that, but with the ground, like he kind of crouches down, puts his hands to the ground, then like almost picks it up and creates like this wave of the soil. Uh, and likewise, you know, the classic sort of air, you know, taking what might be a quite a, a still and balmy day, 
he kind of stirs stirs up an increasing amount of wind and maybe kind of creating like a uh, a whirlwind that he can then like fling somewhere you know so just this this real elemental type of magic um and i think it's really like vivid and and grounded in the description that's going on within the session so what what i want to give some thought to is kind of going through a few of these spell lists and picking out spells that that are maybe that i could tweak to make more of this aspect so and part of the reason i i want to do that is i think sometimes you know a dungeon master he describes a space describes a setting describes a room he's put dungeon dressing in there or or whatever and sometimes i'm not always sure that these spaces get fully interacted with so what i was thinking if if magic was another way that you really interacted with the space i think it might just create a better kind of immersion so you know if if uh, say like magic missile wasn't just perhaps these bolts of energy that appear from nowhere why can't magic missile take some random objects that are within the room and then like fling them at the target well the answer to that is there's no reason why it can't because uh, the nature of D&D being what it is there's there's no reason why you couldn't describe you know a spellcaster or a player could describe their magic in that way but uh, I'm not it don't always get talked about it often gets sort of like passed over but it's something I I just want to I don't know I don't exactly know what I want to do but I just want to incorporate this idea of getting a little bit more out of the description of a place tying the magic a bit more into the description of a place and making this whole kind of all-encompassing drama if you like you know you want to sit down at a session and you want things to be exciting and, and vivid and things that you can remember. You know, if someone just cast Magic Missile, boom, or they just cast Fireball, boom. Yeah, we've seen it all before, but if, like, somebody describes uh, there's a giant bonfire and it, and they they begin, their spellcaster begins his incantations and the, and the, the, uh, the campfire or this bonfire... It, it like surges up into the air and like swirls once around the clearing and then fires into the enemy. I just think that's that's just a bit more uh, interesting. So I don't know whether there's any systems that listeners maybe are aware of or if anybody's got any ideas as to how I could kind of pursue this. Um, I'd definitely be interested to hear. I think what I'm what I'm driving at here is that I kind of want to make the magic a little bit more flexible and also uh, an element of like raw wildness about it. So you 
you know, almost like an uncertainty. So you you don't quite know exactly how it's going to um, come to pass. Um, now, going back to World of Dungeons, now that's got a bit of a interesting magic system and it's mostly about summoning and i've also seen similar ideas of magic with summoning and, and demons being a strong part of the magic but I, I personally haven't seen too much of this um more more i don't know it's like manipulating your surroundings i can't there's probably a a proper kind of magical name for it. I'll need to go back to my books and do a bit more research, but uh, it's something I'm interested in. But if any, like I say, if anybody can point me in the right direction, um, this this is what I'm thinking about at the moment. I've sort of stepped away from the stuff that Ray was talking about at the start of the show. Um, I'm up to date with my random encounter tables, uh, and I've tr- I've got a bit stumped with mob rules at the moment as well but i'm thinking i'm probably just gonna kind of come up with some sort of variation around the the uh, 5e dmg rules on page 250 um because they're pretty simple and i think i could i think i could make that work um failing that i'll just roll a whole bunch of dice at once Arfed calling, uh, looking for a little bit of advice from some of your callers if possible. Um, Going to be taking the DM seat shortly. I'm setting up some dungeons, designing, and there's been some talk of traps recently. The the double trap pit trap was uh, one of my favourites recently. But I'm looking at how to put traps into dungeons without making them obvious that there's a trap there when you're given the explanation of a room you know there's a massive carpet in the middle of the floor and everyone avoids it um seems to be a waste of time things on the walls but i don't want people to be looking all the time at every door and every situation and spending lots of time testing for traps um so how to put traps in in a fun way could catch people out but i don't want them to be impossible to find either so looking for some advice thanks okay so that's our fed aka spike pit's brother <laughs> that's one for you jason um yeah traps traps now i think the traditional thinking on traps is a little bit bit worn out i would my best advice to uh, whoever this half-head fella is, um, would be you don't need to necessarily hide. It can be hard to um, hide traps, especially when you've got a group that has maybe seen it all before. We've all sort of seen the films and played various games and, you know... If a rug suddenly appears in an adventure, you know, there's something under it. It's going to be a trap door or it's going to be a trap or whatever. There's a couple of ways around that. You've got to sort of 
well, to my way of thinking, you've got to maybe dress your dungeons quite heavily so that rugs and stuff like that don't stand out as much. So, you know, you've got to be talking about rugs a lot more and paintings and all sorts of decoration within a space. That's got to come up a lot more often so that when it does come up and it is a trap, it doesn't stand out. Or the other way to do it is, you know, the trap may be fa almost fairly obvious or, or relatively easy to find. But the problem is working out the solution. And, you know, I think this is what uh, Robert was saying. Robert Groves, the DM dad, when he was calling in on the subject... Um, you, you want to see what people, <coughs> what the party do to, um, solve the problem of the trap. So it becomes less about finding it and more about you can't proceed with what you want to do until you've solved the problem of the trap. Um, and I think that's good for a couple of reasons. People, they can, you know, your players can feel quite clever about finding it. And, uh, you know, if you talk about beat structure, that's an upbeat. So, oh, yeah, we found a trap. And then you've got a little bit of a downbeat because, oh, well, what are we going to do about it now? We we don't know how to defeat the trap. You know, we could get killed. This could trigger and then oh woe is me so you've got a nice little upbeat straight into a downbeat for uh, for kind of um, a bit of drama you know so I would think about that think less about hiding the traps and more about designing traps where people have got to think and come up with solutions to getting around them I mean a nice example was um, once again DM Daddy was talking about uh, the old D&D game he was running and he just put like an oil of slipperiness on one step and um, he played. He, he was playtesting with his daughter and she got quite, uh, quite tense about the idea of getting over this one step and then when he played it in his Edin Edinburgh game the players were like, uh, oh, you know, this is interesting, we found this trap and then they were like thinking of ways to scrape up the oil into a, a vessel so that they could then uh, use it at a later date. And he did say, he did say what they used it for, but I can't think now. But I mean, that's that's a that's a great example. And you know, really, that trap was was hardly even a, a kind of. Um, a trap at all you know that the likelihood that 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 would go off was maybe quite slim with you know with a cautious group of kind of veteran adventures but what it did do is it created a nice little kind of puzzly encounter or moment in the game where everybody put their heads together to uh, solve a problem so that's that's the first thing i would suggest the other thing is um, I, don't, I don't think we see just 
from knowing Arfed and myself and the group games we play. And I don't think there's enough traps out in the wilderness. And um, if if you go back and look at First Blood with old uh, Sly Stallone out in the woods there and all the traps he, he comes up with in that film. I mean, it's years since I've seen it, but I, I do remember these kind of gruesome traps that he's setting up. And, um, you know, the whole business of traps is, is really pretty gruesome. And uh, if if you could give some thought to some more perhaps wilderness traps, uh, that would be good. I mean, I remember looking through a book called The SAS Survival Guide, and I remember in there, I was probably, I was playing D&D, and I was back, we, we were using the expert set, and we, we were just getting into wilderness adventuring and stuff, and... Um, I had Lofty Wiseman's Wilderness Survival Guide, and in there, there was all these um, traps for catching, you know, game snares and um, uh, deadfall traps and whatnot. But there was a little section on there that was like man traps, uh, you know, escape and evasion, and kind of like how to, you know, uh, almost. Defend yourself in the wild, you know, when you're being pursued <laughs> in this uh, in the zombie apocalypse or whatever. And uh, they, yeah, there was these man traps, and there was like a little uh, like a call out. There was a box, some box text with like a warning, you know, don't, you know, this is not, this is no joke. Basically, don't be building these traps and setting them in the woods, you know, severe injury or death could result kind of thing and obviously as a, a 12 or 14 year old a 12 or 13 year old I thought that was great you know uh, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah wilderness traps give them a little bit for our fed and if anybody's listening with some further thoughts uh, maybe maybe examples of your favorite trap or some stories of uh, traps that you've run in games uh, give us a call in our fed will be listening if he's not listening, I'll get him to listen. Um, but yeah. Okay, so seemingly I've got quite a bit to get through. Um, domain moves is something else I've been thinking about. I've been inspired by Mr. Hobbs. Um, he's been talking about his game Relentless and also his sort of perhaps... Well, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm imagining his follow-on game called Steadfast, which is a more fantasy-based uh, rule set that, that he's uh, that he's working on. Uh, so I thought, you know, I I would like a domain move. I, if I if I'm DMing a game, I thought if I could do some domain moves and get get the players to think about this kind of common common goal perhaps that they're working towards like um in in an, an example being you know they've got like a home base or a village or in the example of uh relentless that jason was explaining there's a, a gen ship um and and this this entity is like a Almost like a character kind of thing. I just, just kind of caught my imagination, and I thought, you know, I've, 
Well, I immediately thought of uh, like the keep on the borderlands and and how, you know, how that could be something like that. And then that led me on thinking, hold on, you know, I, whilst I've never really played a game that does anything like this, the old BECMI rules, old Beckme D&D rules from back in the day, the companion rules had a whole section on when you reach ni uh, name level and you want to start building strongholds and stuff like that. So I thought to myself, that's what I'll do when I get home tonight. I'll dig out them old rule books and I'll have a, have a little look through. So that was something else I was doing last night. And to be honest, um, I, I, put a, I put a bit of a shout out on, um, on Discord, on Audio Dungeon. Anybody's any thoughts on the companion rules? But I was a little bit underwhelmed by them. Um, they were very uh, kind of medieval-centric. There's a lot of talk about duchies and baronies and uh, viscounts and dukes and whatever. And there's some interesting stuff, like not too complicated stuff about economies and you know how many f peasant families you've kind of got working on the land and and one thing and another. So it was it was kind of interesting, but um, not especially. Not especially well laid out and not particularly inspiring, I'd have to say. I'm looking for something a bit more inspiring and I just, it was kind of dry and I think that might be why we never played it back in the day because I'm not inspired by it now. I can't imagine teenage me being any more inspired. So. Hmm. Sad, but I might have to relegate that to the past. So I'm relying on Jason. If you're listening, steadfast. I'll be waiting eagerly to see what you come up with. Because um, uh, TSR and their companion rules, that's got a little bit of a thumbs down from me. But I do like the artwork. So I'm going to leave it there. Um, I welcome any input from the listeners. I want to shout out to Thaddeus Moore, a.k.a. Patches. I've got my um, my OSR patches, my, uh, my sword and my blue retro map patches and my new um, Midlands patches. So um, I'm all patched up. And um, yeah, big thanks to Thaddeus. Also, thanks to my listeners and the callers in. And uh, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. I'm gone. Look after yourselves. Take it easy. And uh, hold on. I'm forgetting something. Yeah, I nearly forgot. I'll see you all down this smoking lion a bit later for some old Rosie. Oh, and if you're confused by that, that's a cider and not an acquaintance of mine. And that, as they say, is a wrap. Big thanks goes out to you, the listener, for taking a bit of time out of your day to listen to old Spike Pit. Take care, and I'll catch you later.